Hey, welcome to our final week of Bible Study Fellowship for the book of Matthew. Tonight we're going to look at Matthew 28, and we're going to be studying the resurrection of Jesus. Let me open us in prayer, and we will get started. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, the reality, the beauty, uh, the hope that we have because the resurrection is an event that really happened. There were people that saw it, Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, we have the promise in your word that we too will become like Jesus. Uh, The way that he was raised, we will also be raised. As we look at Matthew 28, Lord, help us to grapple and understand uh, the majesty, the beauty, the, the, the challenge, the hope that comes with this passage, Lord. Thank you for the chance to study your word. Thank you for Uh, Matthew, the way that he has spoken to us this year, and uh, thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I, uh, you know, I went this past weekend. Uh, I just got back actually from a a wedding. It was a delayed COVID wedding reception. The wedding happened a couple years ago, but we had the reception. And if you've ever been to a reception, one of the things that you do or that happens with a wedding reception is that you have to RSVP. So you have to say, I'm coming. Now, usually people who are planning weddings, they're, they're, they're doing this well in advance. So three months ago, five months ago, six months ago, I don't know when the, the invitation came, but we were invited to come to this, this event and we had to respond. And the first thing we had to evaluate is, is are we going to go? The, the event was far from our home, and you know, you're thinking ahead, and like, of course you want to be there. But as the event gets closer, you're, now you're committed. And there's all these things that maybe you would have rather done than gone to the wedding, but, but no, we're, we're committed. We've, we've made the commitment. We're tied in. Um, we're going to go to the wedding. And also part of the RSVP is this challenge of, uh, depending upon how the meal is set up, but in this one, we, we had to decide, you know, six months ago, do you want the fish, the chicken, or the vegetarian? And you're like, well, I don't know. What might I want to have six months from now? Do I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want the vegetarian, but maybe you would. Uh, you have to evaluate it and you have to kind of wonder like, well, what kind of dinner am I going to want, you know, six months from now uh, when I go to this wedding event? You know, I think we like to keep our options open. As people, it's our natural tendency. We don't want to commit or get tied down or get, you know, obligated to do too many things because maybe something better is going to come along and I want to do that. But when you RSVP, not only have you committed to go, you've committed to chicken, and and you have to. You're locked in. You've 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 made a commitment, and uh, I think that that you know the RSVP demands some level of response. Certainly, if it's in your family, if it's someone you don't know really well, maybe you can ignore it. But the RSVP demands that we respond. It demands that we respond not only with our time, but with what we want to eat. Uh, and in a much more real and serious way, as we, as we come to Matthew 28 tonight, I think one of the things that Matthew wants us to grapple with as we think of Jesus' resurrection, he wants us to know that Jesus' resurrection demands that we respond it, it, God's people, people, even if they're not God's people, we have to respond to the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's really two choices, and we're going to see that as we look at the responses. Uh, we're going to look at, first of all, uh, Matthew 28, 1 through 15. We're going to look at Jesus' resurrection, 
And we're going to look at the response of the two Marys, and we're going to look at the response of the soldiers and also of the Pharisees. We're going to look at some of the different responses that we see. And then in the, in the second half of Matthew 28, we're going to take a look at the Great Commission, uh, the, the mandate, the directions that Jesus gave to his disciples from 16 to 20. It's a short section tonight. Uh, Matthew wants us to see the resurrection and then, you know, he, Matthew was writing to an audience, so they, they kind of knew what had happened since then. They knew the story that occurred after Matthew 28. We'll have to look in the book of, of uh, Acts to learn that. But uh, Matthew's going to wrap up here tonight with really wanting us to see Jesus' resurrection and how people respond to that event. First of all, let's take a look at uh, Jesus' resurrection. Now, after the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, Towards dawn, on the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And they were prepared uh, to go see Jesus' body. Remember that last week Vicky taught us that these two women saw Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus in the tomb. They knew where the tomb was. They knew where Jesus' body was. And so they were prepared to go and see Jesus' body. They were going to mourn. Perhaps they were going to complete the burial process. Uh, other gospel writers give us more information on this event. But Matthew, Matthew tells us that these two eyewitnesses to his burial were the same two people who were going to go and experience something unexpected. Matthew tells us that there was an earthquake. Uh, an angel of the Lord came, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. We get a, an indicator of his appearance in verse 3. He was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. The guards uh, who trembled and became like dead men because of fear. And this angel gives information to the two Marys. Now, we don't know if they saw the earthquake or saw the earthquake, if they experienced the earthquake. We don't know if they experienced the guards becoming as dead men. The timing is a little bit awkward. What we do know is that this angel provided information to uh, the two Marys. He told them, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Uh, as he said, come to the place where he lay. And, and so the angel is really reiterating information that Jesus already provided to his disciples. Vicky's had us look back at that a few times. Again, that reminder, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And on the third day, he, he was going to rise. And so we're here on the third day, the angel's reiterating that. And uh, the two Marys are the first people to experience the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Maybe the soldiers were first, uh, but the two Marys had source of information, the angel. The angel provided them information about what Jesus had already told his disciples. He was going to rise again. And these two women had a response. They had a, a mixture of fear, but also joy. Uh, we can see that um, their response is recorded for us in Matthew's gospel. Fear and joy uh, is their response. Ultimately, what, what's happening in these two Marys is that they are believing that, that, that Jesus is truly risen. They saw the angel, they saw the stone, they saw the empty tomb, and their response was with great fear and joy. They ran to tell the disciples. They believed the news that they heard. That was what the angel asked them to do. The angel said, go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and they were obeying those directions. 
the results of the two Marys' obedience was that they were the first people to see the resurrected Jesus. If we look in verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Now, I don't know how they recognized him. He must have looked similar. Maybe it was his voice. Maybe it was, that was his normal greeting, but they were able to worship at the feet of the Savior. Uh, they, they were able to interact with him, and Jesus reiterated the directions, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I don't know why um, Jesus didn't want to see the disciples in Jerusalem, but again, this was his direction to the disciples before, you'll see me on the, on the mountain in Galilee, and he's reiterating that to Mary. Uh, as the two women responded to information that they received from the angel and from Jesus, uh, they resulted in, in greater belief. Uh, their joy uh, was overflowing. They, they ultimately go back and they're going to talk to the disciples and other gospel writers give us that. But this is really the end of Jesus's interaction with the Marys. And we're going to see a different response uh, namely, with the guards and the chief priests are going to have a different uh, response. Now, they have a lot of the same information. The guards were present at the tomb. Uh, the guards experienced the same angel. They experienced the stone rolling away. They didn't have the interaction with the angel that, that the two Marys did. But, uh, you know, they became as dead men. They weren't killed. They weren't dead. Uh, but they were great. They were greatly afraid. They, I don't know if they passed out, if somehow they were unconscious. And the guards go back and they report to the chief priest what had happened. Uh, while, the, while they were going, while Mary, the two Marys were going, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. They were providing evidence and information to the chief priests about what had happened. And, and unlike the two Marys, as this additional information comes to the to the to the chief priests, they decide that the right course of action is further denial, further deceit, further cover up, further rejection, further lies, and they provide a very different set of directions to the soldiers. You know, it's not joy, it's not happiness, it's not excitement, it isn't worship. Instead, uh, the chief priests tell the soldiers to go and tell people that these scattered, disorganized group of disciples overpowered you and took the body while you were sleeping. And uh, the results of this action were, you know, bribing of the soldiers and this propagation of a lie among the people of Israel. Uh, this lie has been spread among the Jews to this day. Even though there was additional evidence that Jesus' words were true, the Pharisees continued in their rejection and unbelief. What, what more could God have done to convince the Pharisees that Jesus was the Messiah? All these miracles that he had done, his powerful teaching, the things that we read about in the book of Matthew, nothing was sufficient to move the Pharisees and the chief priests away from their unbelief. Further evidence resulted in further unbelief. One of the things that I think we can look at from this first section of the passage is that Jesus' resurrection reveals people's hearts. 
Jesus' resurrection reveals people's hearts. We saw it revealed in the two Marys, right? Joy, uh, obedience. These are the things that came as they began to to hear additional information about Jesus' resurrection. As they realized that it was true, they they began, uh, they, they continued to believe that and that belief was met with further revelation of Jesus. Their hearts were revealed. They were true followers of Jesus. We saw in the same way the guards with more information. Uh, it, it again it resulted in further unbelief, further rejection, more lies, more denials. There was no amount of information that could be provided that would result in the in the in the Pharisees and the chief priests believing or accepting Jesus as the Messiah. One of the natural inclinations that we all had as babies, you had it, I had it, is a reflex in your foot called the Babinski reflex. And if you, you know, kind of flare your finger on a newborn baby's foot and toes, their their toes will kind of extend upward and they'll they'll retract their foot away from your rubbing. So if the baby's foot is here and if you kind of tickle their foot, uh, they'll 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 arch their foot, they'll flare their toes and lift their foot up and take it away from that stimulus. Now, this reflex is really counterproductive to standing, right? How can you, if every time that your foot comes in contact with the stimulus, you want to lift it up and take it off the ground, standing is something that it wouldn't be possible for for anyone to do. Well, all of you have overcome this reflex. You're able to stand. Uh, you're able to walk. And so with training and with practice, you've you've been able to bring about a different Result. You've been able to take that reflex and integrate it. You've, you've, you've made that reflex differently because of all the training and practice that babies do as they work on standing and as they work on walking. That counterproductive reflex becomes integrated. It's no longer present uh, in you and I as adults because we've integrated that reflex. And so I think sometimes when we come to a passage in Scripture uh, like the resurrection, we have to ask ourselves is what's our natural inclination? What's our reflexive response to a passage like Matthew 28? You know, my experience is when somebody dies, they stay dead. Uh, you know, science tells us that when things pass away, animals and plants, you know, there's like this recycling of maybe your carbon atoms are going to come back and something else as you decay and break down. But this experience of someone being resurrected from the dead, you know, it really seems kind of unlikely. And, and, and maybe that, as you've heard, the, as you, when you first heard the stories of, uh, or, or you read maybe Matthew 28, you know, our first response, our natural inclination, our reflexive inclination is to say, that doesn't jive with my understanding of the world. It doesn't make sense. Uh, it doesn't make sense with my experience. It doesn't make sense with science. It doesn't make sense with the things that I hear. And so we have these reflexive responses uh, as we come across God's word, parts that don't make sense to us, that don't align with our understanding. And the resurrection is one of those things that it doesn't align with our understanding. We've seen Jesus resuscitate people, like Lazarus, and, and you know we've seen him bring people back from the dead, but those people died again. Jesus' resurrection is different. Jesus' resurrection is unique. Uh, he is the first and so far only person 
to have gone through this process of receiving a new body, a resurrection body. And, and so uh, sometimes we, we need a trainer. You know, babies needed to have time to, to figure out like, oh, hey, I, I need to stand up. I need to practice walking. Someone has to help them. They need all this time to learn how to integrate that reflex. And if you think about our own experience as we're interacting with God's word and as we're interacting with the world, you know, the question is, who is our trainer? Who is the person that we tend to listen to to be able to understand and, 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 and maybe make sense of these things that, that don't quite make sense to us, that reflexively we want to reject or question? You know, sometimes it, it can be God's Word itself can, can serve as the trainer for us. We've been going through the book of Matthew together, and perhaps God's Word has been training you to be able to better understand uh, the things that are in God's Word. The more that you study it, the more that God begins to work in us, and the more that we begin to understand that, you know, the resurrection is something that, you know, doesn't make logical sense, but it's a reality that Matthew presents to us. Perhaps your trainer has been other people. Uh, maybe those people are religious people. Maybe they're people that are believing people. But a lot of times, the, some of the voices that we listen to tend to be voices of this world. Uh, people that are popular, people that are famous, people that are politically powerful, those voices are, are training us as well. They want to train us. They want to train our hearts and our ears and our minds to respond to Jesus, to God, in a way that's like, that doesn't, that's not a real thing. That couldn't be real. And so who has been training you? Who has been that, that voice, those words that if, that it, when you come to a difficult passage to understand, like, you know, is the resurrection a reality? What are the voices that have been training you? And then one of the things that we also want to grapple with and think about, you know, how, as we've come across the resurrection, as we've come across these things that are more difficult to accept in Scripture, how has that changed? How has your response changed as a result of your study of God's Word here at BSF, or maybe in your church, or maybe in your personal study? How have you seen your response to some of these difficult truths of the Bible change as you spent time in God's Word, as the Holy Spirit has worked on your heart? What changes have you noticed in yourself, or maybe in others, uh, as you've gone through and you've been trained by God's Word? Let's take a look at the second part of this section where Jesus meets his disciples in Galilee uh, on a mountain that Jesus had directed them to go through. The section of the Bible is referred to as the Great Commission uh, because of the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. And we're going to take a look at that, but I think it's really important to realize that this idea of, of, of belief and rejection that we're seeing presented among the two Marys and also the Pharisees is also present in the hearts of the disciples. Uh, now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped, right? And that's what the Marys did, right? The Marys worshipped at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, and that's the pattern that we're supposed to identify as the positive one. Uh, the pattern of the two Marys, some of the disciples are following the pattern of the Marys. Some of the disciples are doubting. And, and we, we're like, well, that's interesting. I wonder which ones it was. Matthew doesn't tell us. But, but that, that notion of belief and unbelief, that, that, that wrestling of that, that we're seeing in the disciples, you know, again, 
they're grappling with the reality of the resurrection. It doesn't fit their paradigm. It doesn't fit their experience. You know, people people who are crucified don't just come back. Um, they saw Jesus do great things. But yet, with Jesus being dead, how is it possible that someone could, could be resuscitated or resurrected? And so they're, they're, they're wrestling with it. They're wrestling with the reality of uh, the resurrection. And, and uh, again, this isn't wrong. It isn't wrong for us. We, again, as people who are in the process of being regenerated it, within our own hearts, we can simultaneously have belief and unbelief. I love uh, in, in Mark's gospel, Mark talks about uh, the, as Jesus is coming down from the transfiguration, there's a man whose son is even possessed. It's Mark chapter 9. And Jesus says to the man, you, do, do you believe that I can cast out the demon? And, and the father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I have to believe that that's what's happening in these disciples. You know, they, they, Lord, I believe that you've been resurrected. I believe that the words that you spoke are true, but help my unbelief. And I think that's uh, one of the things that can be true for you and for me that, you know, as we, as we, we want to, we want to believe that the words of the Bible are true, but there's a part of us that is doubting. There's a part of us that uh, is skept- the skeptic. And I, I think it's a great prayer for you and for me to follow the, the words of the, of the Father in the book of Mark who said, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, what, you know, I think what I think of help my unbelief is, Lord, help me understand. Help me see the truth of that. Help me understand how my perspective and my skepticism is wrong. It might mean something different for you. It might have meant something different for the man in the, in the, in the book of Mark, but I think it's great for us to take our doubts and our unbelief and give that to Jesus. Uh, despite some of the doubt that was present, Jesus said to all the disciples, he spoke this, these, this, this quote, which has become to be known as the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. I think there's five points in the Great Commission that we want to think about. I'll go through them quickly. Uh, first of all, Jesus begins by talking about authority. We've, we've heard in Matthew's gospel that Jesus is one who is under authority. He has authority. There, he's able to uh, do things and command things that you and I are not able to do. But what, what's happened now that, that Jesus has been resurrected, he's been given greater authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Because Jesus was willing to submit to humiliation and death on the cross, God has elevated Jesus to an even greater position of authority than he has had up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew. He's, it's in, in a work environment, we would say he's been promoted. But Jesus has been promoted, he's been elevated to the highest place. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. It sort of helps us understand, like, should we listen to these words? Should we listen to the words of Christ? Well, he has all authority. So the answer is yes. We should listen to what Jesus is about to say to his disciples. And so here's what he tells them. To go, therefore, because of the authority that Jesus has been given, go 
and make disciples of all nations. So first of all, make disciples of who? Of, of just people who are Jewish? Of just people that we like? No, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' kingdom, the disciples that would follow Jesus, is not limited by race or ethnic group or nationality or geography. All nations are welcome to be disciples. This was a radical idea uh, when Jesus spoke these words. The Jewish people were very, they were very insular. And so to have Jesus say, all nations... This was one that they had to ruminate on and think about for a while. What does it really mean? What does that really mean, all nations, Lord? Does that mean the Samaritans? Does that mean the Romans? Does it mean beyond the borders of Rome? Who really is that? And we're going to see if we if we look at the the the, the gospel of or the look at the book of Acts. Uh, it took a while for the disciples to really understand what Jesus meant by this idea of of all nations. Uh, Also, Jesus didn't say to his followers, just go into the town and just, you know, share the gospel. Uh, Instead, Jesus says, no, you're you're going in and you're making disciples. Jesus had disciples. And he walked with this group of people for three, three and a half years during his earthly ministry. He spent time with them. He spent time teaching them. He poured out his life into these 11 guys. Uh, One of them betrayed him. It wasn't all happy, happy, joy, joy for Jesus to train these, these 11 guys, these 12 guys. And so Jesus is saying, as you have seen me do with you, go and do that to all nations. And so they've been given a mission to, to go and imitate Jesus, to imitate his teaching, his care, his concern, his pouring out of himself into others, his others' focus, his love of God, and his focus on others. They were called to now go and mirror that. They were called to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a a unique reference to the Trinity. Uh, Jesus, uh, this is one of the verses that's always included as as, as, uh, church councils are are grappling with the notion of the Trinity, understanding who God is. Uh, The Great Commission is always included. Jesus mentions all three parts of the Trinity by name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so uh, this notion of baptism, we know from uh, John the Baptist ministry is that there there was a public identification of repentance and being aligned with Christ, uh, and that that public act of of water baptism, whether it's immersion or whether it's sprinkling, Jesus doesn't say, we don't know, uh, but that public alignment with Jesus is really the evidence of an inner heart change. Uh, it's It's that idea that your heart has been changed because of the work of Christ. And so, you're publicly identifying, you're announcing to those around you that you are aligned with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The direction that, uh, so they're supposed to go, supposed to make disciples, supposed to baptize them, and then they're supposed to teach. Teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. So Jesus has already provided the content of the teaching. You know, the disciples don't need to go home and curriculum up. They don't need to figure out, like, well, what what concepts do we need to go over? What are the things that make up Christianity? Uh, Jesus has already defined it. 
Jesus has provided the example. He's provided the sermons. He's provided the teaching. He's provided what it looks like to go through and do public ministry. He's provided uh, the emphasis on prayer, uh, the care of others. Jesus has done everything. There's no new content that the disciples need to do. All they have to do is recount what Jesus has already commanded. Take what you've learned from Jesus and pass it on. And finally, uh, Jesus reminds the disciples, uh, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the task that Jesus was setting before these men was greater than they were able to do. We've seen what the disciples are, are capable of. They can scatter, right? They can deny that they know Jesus. Uh, We've seen their failures throughout the book of Matthew, but Jesus reminds them that the work that I'm giving you to do is going to have the, the supply that you need to do it, and that supply was going to be the presence of Jesus with them. I am with you always. Uh, would, it, would he be with them bodily, the way that he was during his earthly ministry? No. We know from the book of Acts, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven, but the Holy Spirit would come and maintain that presence with his followers. And so this is where Matthew wraps up his account. Uh, Matthew wants you, us to know that the last words of Jesus were this great commission to the 11 disciples. And, you know, the book of Acts and other places in the New Testament, we're going to, we can learn more about what these 11 guys did. Uh, they really changed the world because of the presence of, uh, of Christ with them. But Matthew ends it here. And I think that um, the principle from this last little bit is that Jesus's resurrection is going to require action. Uh, Jesus's resurrection is going to require action. You know, it required a, a response. There was an intellectual response that was required previously, right? That notion of acceptance or rejectance, belief or unbelief, that was intellectual. You know, the, the Mary and, and they had to decide intellectually, what are we going to do here? Are we going to believe? Are we going to not believe? But now what Jesus is saying is like, there's stuff you're going to have to do. There's a way that you're going to have to live because all authority has been given to Jesus. And so, and so now uh, the disciples are going to have to do something. They're going to have to carry out this command that Jesus gave them. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about is uh, as we've kind of gone through the era of COVID and, you know, whether we're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic, whatever your perspective is on that, you know, COVID has reminded the world that viruses and bacteria can easily be spread from one person to another. And uh, one, of the, one of the challenges that, that public health departments and governments have done during the season, and that maybe you've done personally to participate in this, is, you know, we want to do things to limit the spread of germs between me to you or you to me. You know, you're not going to get anything over the computer, I don't think. But, but we've, as we've gone out with other people in, 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 in physical spaces, you know, we're, we're washing our hands, we're, we're wearing masks, we're doing more things outside, we're avoiding uh, large indoor gatherings. Maybe you've gotten a vaccine. Um, there's a variety of things that we've done to stop the spread of COVID. And I think, by and large, uh, many of those measures have been successful. Uh, you know, there's COVID still happening, but um, a lot of the times, you know, with, with, with good safety precautions, we've been somewhat successful in preventing the spread of COVID. And so as a result, we're seeing some of those graphs 
uh, taper out. You know, and the world has wanted us to do this. You know, the world and you and I are interested in seeing the spread of COVID stop. I think one of the problems that, that we're going to run into when we, when we hear a message like this is, is Jesus is basically saying, like, spread it. Spread it out there. Uh, go and connect with people, interact with them, make disciples. And, and I think that sometimes what Jesus' followers might be tempted to do is to be like, I, no, I'm going I'm to mask up. I'm going to vaccine up. I don't, I don't, I don't want, this is, my, this is my private faith. This is my private belief. Uh, this is for just for me. And I don't want to share it because sometimes when we go to other people and when we share things, you know, there could be consequences. I don't know where you're from. Maybe not so much in, in, in the United States, but in other parts of the world, if you start sharing your faith, you can be in big trouble. You know, the local authorities might be upset, but the one that has all authority has said, go, make disciples of all nations. And, and, and we're called to sort of like opposite COVID, right? We're called to spread the news about Jesus to other people. We're called to pass it on. We're called to teach. We're called to baptize. We're called to make disciples. We're, we're opposite COVIDing. The Great Commission is the exact opposite of COVID. Uh, and sometimes we wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. We don't necessarily want to spread the news about Jesus. And so we treat Jesus and our belief in him and the way that he's worked in our hearts as something that we want to keep to ourselves and not spread and not share. Well, what are some of the things that you've learned this year about God, about Jesus? We've been in the book of Matthew for 28 chapters. What have you learned? What has God taught you? What have you learned in your discussion groups? What have you learned by reading and studying the Bible? What are some things that you have learned? And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this information, with this wisdom that God has imparted into your heart? Are, are you going to try and share it? Is there someone that you are, are thinking about sharing it with? Maybe there's someone that you could invite to do a Bible study this summer. You could invite to your church. You could invite to some other uh, event or activity where they can begin to learn and you can begin to share with them some of what you've learned as a result of your study. Maybe you're grappling with this in the same way that you are with COVID about, you know, how can I not spread this? This is private to me. Uh, what am I going to, you know, how can I prevent other people from knowing that God is changing my heart? It's a wrestle. I feel that way sometimes too. Uh, but, there's, but, but one of the things that we have to grapple with is Jesus' words are to go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, um, and Jesus has been given all authority. And so it's, it's something that we have to wrestle with. But I would encourage you to think about people that you can share some of what you've learned with, uh, either in your group, at a sharing opportunity. Look for opportunities to share what God has taught you. Well, our study of the Gospel of Matthew in uh, Bible Study Fellowship has come to an end. We're at the, there's, there's no Matthew 29 for us to go to next week. I'll probably mistakenly say, see you next week when I end this, but uh, we've come to the end. We've come to the end of Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel. But we know, the Great Commission tells us that the work of the disciples was not done at the end of Matthew 28. There was more work for them to do, and in some ways, their work is just beginning. 
And so as we come to the end of our study, uh, the same is true for us. Our, 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 this chapter comes to an end, but there's still more that we can do. Uh, Jesus told the disciples earlier in Matthew that the fields are still white for the harvest. Ask that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest. Uh, and friends, as students of the Bible, you and I are those workers. We have an opportunity to go out and take what we've learned in the, in the, in the gospel of Matthew and begin to work for the Lord. As we wrap up our study this year, will you ask the Lord of the Harvest to direct you and help you understand how you can take what you've learned and share it with God's people? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance we've had this year to study the the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you've brought us to the end. And and this end is, uh, it's, it's sad, but it's also exciting because it's a new beginning for us all to begin to think about how we can take what you've done in our hearts, take what we've done in our lives, and keep working and serving the Lord of the harvest. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to all of us the ways that we can keep doing that over the summer, into next year, and for the rest of our lives. Amen. Thanks for joining us this year on Bible Study Fellowship. We'll be back in the fall. We're going to be looking at... uh, the uh, second part of the people of the promised land, it's the divided kingdom. We'll be looking back uh, in the, the book of Kings and Chronicles. So uh, we're taking a break over the summer, but we'll see you in the fall. Have a great summer.